Over the last 15 months, we've traveled uh, to every corner of the United States. Uh, I've now been in 57 states. I think one left to go. Hi, everybody. That was uh, former President Barack Obama in 2000, May 9th, 2007, saying that he had been to 57 states in, uh, in 57 states. Uh, <laughs> Without including uh, Alaska and Hawaii. Without including Alaska <laughs> and Hawaii. So ultimately, once he visited those, he will have been to 59 Nine states. states. Uh, welcome back to Second in Command of Veep Rewatch. I am Tim Simons. I play Jonah Ryan. I am Matt Walsh. I play Mike McClintock. And we uh, are going to look at the show Veep uh, from the point of view of the lowest rung of a very high ladder. Uh, and today we'll be re we will be rewatching episode nine, Running. Yeah, and we have a great guest this week, Tim, the lovely, talented Georgia Pritchett, who has a new book coming out, My Mess is a Life. Is that a My Mess point? is a Little Bit of a Life. My Mess is a Little Bit of a Life. Classic Mike. Uh, Georgia is probably someone that you'll for for super fans of the show George Georgia you will probably remember um as someone who has like appeared in a lot of Julia's like Instagram pictures and videos cuz they are really close and uh she was all like it was always ended up being like uh had a great conversation with my friend Julia at the rap party and it would be Julia yelling at Georgia yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. they have a they have a long running bit where of Georgia posting pictures where uh, she says that they are much better friends than they are and it, she's great she uh has been with the show almost since the beginning was with the show through till the end and is also a um Succession writer. Uh, a succession writer and producer as well. So incredibly talented. We're very happy to have her. Let's jump to it. Hi, Georgia. Hi, good to Hi, be Georgia. here. Great Georgia, what's your middle name? I don't have one. You don't have one? Yeah, it explains a lot about me. Yeah, I really want one. I, I wanted it to be Samantha when I was a child. Why don't you have a middle name? Is, there, is that a cultural thing with the, with the Brits? No, do you know, I think my parent, my, my dad literally forgot my name when he came to pick me up from school. So, and, and all he could remember that was that I was Emily's friend. So I think if I'd had more than one name, there was no way they were going to remember those. <laughs> Wait a minute. Your father forgot your name? Yeah. He was like, she's small, she's got curly hair. And they were like, you've got to narrow it down. There's a lot of those in here. So it's yeah, the closest he could get was Emily's friend. And if, do, you, um, do your siblings have do your siblings have middle names? No, nobody. No. no. So they were keeping it easy on the dad from the very beginning. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, with a story like that from your childhood, um, let's try to examine and connect the dots of how you ended <laughs> up getting into comedy. Uh, Not too tricky, is it? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a fucking straight line. <laughs> Where did Georgia? Oh, yeah. Wait, where did Georgia come from? Do you know your name? That's quite cool. Yeah. So when my mum was pregnant, uh, she kept hearing the Ray Charles version of Georgia on my mind, and um, oh. I was named after that. Nice. It's a great so, story. Yeah. I have a. This is something I brought up a bunch. Georgia, uh, um, what is your title on uh, on Succession? What is your like official credit? Do Gosh. you know? Uh, I think. It's because so, it's so different in the States to over here, but I think it's co-exec producer. 
Okay, so Georgia is a co-executive producer on Succession, which is a fantastic show uh, that if you haven't started watching, which um, I'm sure you have, you should start. Um, this is something that I brought up, a, that, I, that I feel like I've brought up a bunch on the podcast before, like the, the similarities in, not really in tone, because they are very different shows in the way that they make you feel and the amount of feelings that the people on the shows have. Mm-hmm. But uh, with so much like Veep crossover in the writer's yeah. room and like with yeah. Jesse, I saw a tweet like six months ago that was like, Succession is an amazing show because there are, there, there will be an episode about like incredibly complex familial emotions. And also Tom has a pot of spaghetti that he doesn't know where to put it down. <laughs> exactly. And there are a bunch of those, like those things in Veep as well. And I'm, I think this comes to a general question of how do you guys balance those tones? Because I feel like it works in Veep when you try to balance them and it works mm-hmm. in succession for sure when you try to balance them. So how, how do you start balancing those? Yeah, I don't know if we do really. I think you're exactly right. There, there's a real similarity, and that's because both shows are certainly at the beginning and for the most part written by a bunch of scruffy, shambolic British comedy writers. <laughs> and um, so, you know, it's interesting. I think there was some doubt when Veep started, could we really get a, a handle on American politics and mm-hmm. Personally, the answer was no, I couldn't. Um, but And then similarly for Succession, they were like, hmm, can this group of shambolic, shuffling, socially inadequate British people pull off a high-end glossy drama? And, and in many ways, no, we haven't because um, we had to employ so many rich consultants who could explain to us what it was like to be rich because we had no idea. Um, <laughs> we just... We were still excited that HBO was going to pray, play for our, pay for our pret manger sandwich at lunchtime. So, we, <laughs> yeah, we got in a lot of trouble, particularly at the beginning. I remember in season one of Succession, I wrote a, an episode about Thanksgiving and um, the rich consultant really gave me a bollocking, to use a British word, because I think I had Marsha saying sort of, and it's time for lunch or we're having turkey or something. And they're like, she wouldn't even know where the kitchen was or what lunch was. She wouldn't ever say that. And then I had that there were maids dressed as in maids' uniforms. And they were like, where are you getting this from? And I said, I don't know. I think it's like either porn or racist Tom and Jerry episodes. Like, I don't know where I got the idea of maids from. But, yeah, apparently they don't have maids. They have very good-looking young men in chinos and polo shirts and and they and they were like rich people don't wear coats they go from their car to their jet to their building they don't need a coat so yeah we had to be kind of taught what it was like to be rich and but I think you know the the sort of the comedy roots of all the writers or most of the writers comes out in in the sort of attention to detail in in the dialogue um we're rubbish at stage directions, but we do spend a lot of time on the dialogue. So, so yeah. like when you guys, because there are a ton of great jokes in that show, but they don't live in them. So when you write a joke inside a script, are you conscious of not living in it? Do you know what I mean? 
Yeah, I mean, I think what's good, I think what we've learned over here from American TV is to create characters who are funny and who are trying to make each other laugh. So that helps enormously for comedy. I think for a long time there was a tradition in British humour where people would be unwittingly funny because they were so stupid or they were so bad at their jobs or, you know, whether it's Faulty Towers or The Office, you know, that it was kind of our comedy springs from self-loathing. <laughs> so, uh, so I, I well, think, I feel like Americans does too. We just maybe cover it in different ways. Okay. We yeah. cover it in confidence and yes. pretend that it never exists and you, and you bathe in it. <laughs> we do. We wallow. We bask yeah. in self-loathing. Yeah. So I think, you know, in succession, it's great when the kids are trying to sort of make each other laugh or make each other squirm and and they know that they're being funny. I think that's an enormous help to any writer or I presume actor um, when you're kind of dealing with dialogue. And those would be the moments that are easy to make funny, right? Basically. Yeah. Yeah. And then, but you violate very dramatic moments with comedy yeah. too, but you don't live in it. It's just so interesting. Like you could, with the amount of jokes in that show, obviously it's an hour. You could be more comedic, but it gets out of there so quickly. You guys never linger yeah. in those moments. <clears throat> yeah, I think both Veep and Succession were had either a classy attitude or a very wasteful attitude in that so much would get thrown away, so many yeah. moments and jokes or undercut or undermined or subverted. And, and that's why I think both shows are fun to watch multiple times because you, you miss stuff all the time. Tim. Yes. I don't know if you know my sister, Annie, but uh, she's a dynamite, talented person. She lives in Chicago, one of your favorite cities. She's gotten two kick-ass brand new careers because she's always interested in starting new careers. Guess mm -hmm. where she landed these wonderful jobs that I'm so jealous of? Where did she land them? She landed them on Indeed.com. One of them oh, was like... Real? Yeah, one of them was like running this really great art gallery. And another one, she's helping set up an indoor lettuce growing facility in Chicago so people can get fresh produce. Like, So you're telling me that Indeed.com, if you has so many jobs that if you were interested in starting up an indoor lettuce factory, there's a job out there for you. Well, you would get staffed by the guy who's already starting the, the, the lettuce factory. Okay, okay. Tell me more about this amazing service. So Indeed makes it easy to hire great talent. According to Comscore, Indeed is the number one job site worldwide. I have heard, I have just heard, that instead of spending hours on multiple job sites and hoping to find candidates with the right skills, like how to grow lettuce indoors, you need one powerful hiring partner that can help you do all of it. Is that true? Yeah. Awesome. Also, you can join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. That's my point. So many people are looking for talent. And mm -hmm. if you're talented, like my sister, she's locked into two of the greatest jobs I've ever heard of. That honestly sounds amazing. I am going to apply as well. See if there are any other open positions for uh, indoor uh, produce growing. Uh, and I am going to start by going to Indeed.com. And if you need to start hiring, you can start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash V. That offer is valid through March 31st, 2022. Go to Indeed.com slash Veep to claim your $75 credit before March 31st, 
Indeed.com slash Veep. Terms and conditions apply. You need to hire. You need Indeed. Hey, uh, Walsh. Tim. You've heard me talk about how important it is to have a VPN to protect your online privacy before, right? Yeah. Because I do embarrassing stuff. Like, I... I, you know what I've gotten into recently? Physical media. I like collecting Blu-rays. I am also into like golf videos. These things are kind of embarrassing if somebody were to like see my browsing history and see how many like Blu-ray websites or golf video websites I'm looking at. That's embarrassing. So I want to have online privacy. But here's the thing that I don't talk about as much. Choosing a VPN you trust is equally as important. Now, I do research on my sponsors. I don't know if you do, but I do because I'm a trustworthy host. And I only recommend brands to my listeners that I believe in and I can say with full confidence that ExpressVPN is the best VPN on the market. And here's why. It doesn't log your activity online because lots of cheap VPNs make money by selling your data to advertisers, but ExpressVPN doesn't do this. They even developed technology called Trusted Server that makes their VPN servers incapable of storing any data at all. Yeah, and the last thing that really sets ExpressVPN apart is how easy it is to use, Tim. You don't need technical skills to get set up. Just fire up Mm -hmm. the app, tap one button to connect, and that's it. Even your grandparents know how to do this stuff. Uh, So protect yourself with a VPN that I use and trust. Use my link at expressvpn.com slash veep today to get an extra three months for free on a one-year package. Wow, that's expressvpn.com slash veep. Visit expressvpn.com slash veep to learn more. Uh, if you haven't, uh, if you haven't figured this out yet, we are obviously talking about season two, episode nine of the television show <laughs> Beep, <laughs> entitled "Running." Um, I got to pull up the sheet. Who is it written by, Walshy? Uh, the writers on this one were Will, Will Smith, Sean. Sean Gray, Armando Iannucci. Now. When it comes, it was directed by uh, Tim Kirkby, who I think this is the first episode of ours that he directed. He ended up directing a few. It's the first one that he directed of ours. He, I think, had become, he had directed a bunch of stuff in the UK, had started directing stuff in the States, including um, uh, Look Around You, which is, I think, uh, was that the thing that sort of broke Tim Kirkby? Because that's whenever I would mention his name, everybody would be like, oh my God, Look Around You is incredible. Oh, maybe. Yeah, that was great, wasn't it? Really good show. Um, so Tim Kirky directed it. And Georgia, what, what was your timeline of when? Because there, there were always like these, uh, these sort of like these, these Brit whispers of like, you know, there was like, there were like the writers that were on set with us. But then you always yes. heard these whispers about these other ones yeah. that we would meet eventually. When did yes. you start writing for us? I started on season two because on season one, Armando was still doing the thick of it. So I was on the thick of it. I think he kind of like split us up. So I was on the thick of it. And then I came on to be on season two. And I remember vividly being in the, in a meeting with Armando and him saying, yeah, I've got a, a really good idea for an episode. Uh, Selena walks through a glass door. So yeah, so go and just like, <laughs> <laughs> write that up, kind of pad it out to 30 pages or so. And I remember just <laughs> looking at Will and Sean and thinking, oh my God, how are you going to do that? Like, thank God this isn't my episode. But they did an incredible job and it's uh, it's such a good... We had some other ideas that we'd been talking about, which were like Mike 
running up and down stairs and, <laughs> and the sort of the drug mix and, uh, oh, and the boat, of course, uh, yeah. that Mike has been trying to get rid of. So, so we kind of... Yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but the boat was so funny to, I think, the British people. Why is it so funny to people? <laughs> it's I, a cultural thing. I don't know. Yeah, I suppose we just... Even though we're an island, not many of us own boats. It just, seems, <laughs> okay. it just seems the kind of thing that you ridiculous American people would do is buy a boat <gasps> and, then, <laughs> and then not be able to sell it. It seems quintessentially um, American, perhaps. Okay. Yeah. That, and that yeah. does kind of track with like maybe what you've mentioned, your like sort of your, your initial... Uh, inability to write rich people in that just like simply owning a boat, even a small <laughs> one is, is like so far beyond. It's like, can you imagine? Can yeah, you imagine yeah. if a gentleman owned a boat and yeah, these people yeah. are like, Oh, I'm spending $500 million building the largest <laughs> yacht that's ever. And you're like, wait, what? Uh, so that, yeah. that might, that might yeah. track. I so, guess it's so cold here. You would never want to be on a boat on water. So it just seems insane, but yeah. That definitely, and the oh, the other thing was the playlist, which I I might be wrong, but I think we had um, we've got a show over here called Desert Island Discs, where people choose their favourite songs, and a politician chose Madonna's La Isla Bonita, and and we just didn't believe that he'd ever even heard the song. We thought someone <laughs> told him to say that, and so we had this idea of of people writing playlists for politicians to kind of make them seem human. Can I ask a question about the, the glass door? Because I'm, I'm sure this came up at the time. And this does seem like one of those ones where every once in a while in the room, Arm would get super excited and he, was, yeah. you know, he would be like, here's the thing. She's going to yeah. walk through glass door. <laughs> so I can't remember. If we, do you remember what that came from? Like, was there a specific event or was it just he came in one day and it was like, aha. I it believe was, Armando walked through a glass door in real life, didn't he? Oh, did he? Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I, a couple of the writers had done it. That does seem to be <laughs> a thing that instead of buying boats, we walk through glass doors over here. But yeah, it definitely it was a aha, we're going to do this. Um, yeah, I think he shared with us once that he had that experience. He was at a party or something, and he did, in uh, fact, do that. So I think wow. it came from personal experience but i love yeah. that other writers have had that experience <laughs> yeah. that's yeah. why we were able to get so many jokes out of that mike with you with the, with mike being like i did this once we're gonna have to cut you out of your clothes <laughs> that's right <laughs> they're like what it's like no i was drunk <laughs> like as if that makes it better yeah. i was fine i was drunk <laughs> yeah yeah so when you came to baltimore were you was it the before season writers room, or did you come back, come to Baltimore when the show was up? And yeah, I came for yeah during the filming. Um, I was there. Yeah, it was that was kind of brilliant and terrible, wasn't it? It, was, it seemed to be like the coldest place on earth, and we were all yeah. so huddled together, homesick in this one hotel, yeah. which I think was great because we all got to know each other so well. Um, and probably if it had been in LA and you'd all been going home, we, it, that wouldn't have happened. But yeah, it was 
I do think it served the show well because you would mm-hmm. informally see Tony Roach at the Wit and Wisdom bar writing. <laughs> you'd say, do you have any ideas for something or what? You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. There was a lot exactly. of socializing off, off hours. And what would a lot of people who, you know, we've talked to from the show talk about the rehearsal process. What was your experience of the rehearsal process? Had you been in similar rooms or was it, what was your takeaway from that? Yeah, we'd done that on the thick of it a a bit or or we'd certainly kind of change things during filming but I think that was again crucially important um funnily enough we were talking today in the succession room about Armando and how he works and saying that he tends to have these brilliant ideas and these brilliant observations and these brilliant lines but he really does completely rely on his cast to bring those characters to life and it's not really until they've been cast that we start sort of um, developing their, you know, who they are and, you know, their backstory and 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 getting into the sort of details of, of someone. And I think that's, I imagine that's partly why it's really exciting working with him is because you have so much input into your character and, yeah, a lot, a lot rests on your shoulders for your character, which is, I think, really exciting and um, healthy. I think that is interesting to hear because like going into this, like I remember like uh, like this might for like young actors out there who maybe were like uh, coming up, uh, like if they were studying theater, like they're like this whole thing of like, you know, the sort of like the text is sort of sacred, like the sacred text and all the answers are in it. And while I actually do believe that I also am like yeah that's not true because you <laughs> like because I remember like going through like this hearing that and and knowing that those things sort of stay alive and that you're like oh once it's once we cast that we can start filling those mm. things out mm. yeah, there totally. is that thing of like I remember before I auditioned like going through and it's like an old an old trick that I learned like my freshman year of college which was to like always like go down and write down everything that you say about yourself and everything that every other character says about you and just see what's there and just see what's there. And of course, like thinking about the text as like unimpeachable, uh, you think like, oh, every single one of those is there for a reason. And now knowing what happens, there is like, oh yeah, we hadn't really thought of that at all. We just had to get past the people and then the work would start. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And particularly in the case of Jonah, you know, I think we had in mind a very specific person that we'd met in the White House who was very tiny and had a high <laughs> voice. And, you know, then immediately that just all got changed when you were cast and it became a completely different person, really. Yeah, and, and as actors, the big sort of hurdle for us or for me, which which went away pretty quick, but it was rehearsing in a room full of, like, a wall of like Mount Rushmore writers. Like, you know, these people are talented and smart and obviously probably judging us or it felt like they were judging us. So that was a big part of it to get over that. Like, cause you're in a bubble and everyone's watching you or they're scribbling occasionally. And it felt very intimidating for a Did while. It? Oh yeah. yeah. I suppose I just think actors, uh, don't have feelings. No, uh, you're <laughs> used to that kind of humiliation. Well, so they're narcissists. Me. Their narcissism <laughs> girds them, you know, gives them strength. But it just was really exciting for us to be able to sort of be part of that process and see you all work and and kind of 
steal your best ideas and and extrapolate from kind of things that came up and stuff. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm gonna press. I'll, I'll press us into the uh, because I feel like we could end up going on for three hours. Here, I'll read and, the synopsis too. Yeah, Walsh is okay. good at this. Undeterred by a message that POTUS wants Selena to limit her public appearances, the Veep continues her plans while Dan attempts to play both sides of the Selena Danny Chung rivalry. Cool. That seems like a real reductive way because like my general thought about this one is that there's so much that's going on like there are so this was one of those ones where like we had so many events like and so many different places that we had to be that seems like a very simple sum up of how this episode works because you go from like you have like the donor thing the glass door the hotel room and then into the like a, a a 10k fun run but anyway, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. it all starts out in the VP's office. I think the general sense of that first scene is just that everything's going great, right? Everything's mm-hmm. like, you know, she's talking about donor boners and the, 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 the Gary has a cute nickname for her, which I can't remember. Or they're calling you the, the EPVP or something like that. Like mm-hmm. something like that. I don't know. It wasn't apparently it wasn't a great joke, Georgia, because you would have stuck <laughs> out of that. that. Uh, I'm no, working okay. on the rewrite now. Okay, good, good, good. <laughs> uh, uh, but basically, it just kind of seems to be the entire point of that is just to let everybody know that since the interview, since first response, her office is just sailing. Like, everybody's going great. Um, yeah. Dan and Amy say that they can't go to the donor thing, uh, which uh, they were like, oh, we can't go because of whatever. And Dan's like, yo, yeah, 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 I can't either. Um, and then we just go into a really great scene with uh, depressed Ben, which is one of my favorite things about yeah. about any show is uh, is just is just Ben unhappy. Yeah, uh, where he uh, says, oh, "What are you going to do?" He says, "What are you going to do for an encore? Blow the opening day pitch out your ass." And then she's she doesn't really go, and she's just over it. She's like, "Yeah, that's that's great." Is this what the next two years are going to be like? And he says something. He says something like, "Oh yeah, we're we're uh, it actually is because we're at DefCon fuck." Oh yes, that's right. Yeah. So you know when what? I yeah, go ahead. I was just gonna say when I looked at it again, I was kind of struck by how rude people were to her when she was vice president. I suppose my most recent memories of of her being president so it was kind of a, it, good to be reminded of that and also reminded oh there was a time when Jonah actually had a job to do and had a yeah. bit of responsibility <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean yeah. like, he didn't he didn't do a very good job at it he doesn't do a very good job although this no. might be the only time where we see him, uh, oh, Georgia, just so you know, we have sort of like a long, like a a, a running thing of um, who's good at their job, who's good at their jobs, oh, yeah. and really yeah. bolstering Mike being good at his job because I yeah. feel like everybody kind of pushes Mike mm-hmm. to the side and be like, oh, he was always bad at his job comparatively. Yeah. But what we've noticed is that there are plenty of episodes where Mike is the best one at his yeah. job. Yeah. That's and right. Amy, Amy, not so great at her job. Yeah, Amy, not so and great Selena, at her job. Selena, very often not great at her job. <laughs> yeah, I think that's we 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 used to say that in the writers' room. Mike, you know, Mike quite often gets it right or does 
as good a job as he can with what with the materials he's given with what he's <laughs> like yeah. uh yeah he's 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 just got one of those faces hasn't he that's uh i was saying to someone the other day people always think I'm a picky eater. In, in actual fact, I eat anything, but I have the face of a picky eater. <laughs> and I think, yeah. I think Mike, Mike is actually fine at his job, but he has the face of someone who's an idiot. <laughs> he has the face of someone yeah. who's very, very bad at what they're doing. Well, like yeah. Frank, Frank Rich says, uh, nobody plays woe is me better than Mike McClintock. Like, yes. He just has that. Or I yeah. Don't. Yeah. There's like a, I think a good example from this episode is when the doctor leaves, like this is like, you know, skipping ahead a huge bit just for this moment. But like, there's that moment where the doctor's leaving. Um, uh, and after checking on Selena, you know, like, oh, she can't run the 10K or whatever. And then just on the way out, Mike, Mike throws in like a mum's the word and the doctor's like, yeah, like, mm-hmm. that's like a very elegant way of... Yes sort of communicating what needs to be communicated, whereas Dan might have been a little bit more heavy-handed about it. Yeah. It's just like a yeah. nice, casual, friendly... If I say it like yeah. this, you are we're going to feel a connection, the two of us. I feel yeah. like that's Mike being great at his job. Yeah, and also Mike has to deal with such horrible people, like Sidney Purcell, who Purcell. are just horrible well, to him. Yes. Yeah. And he, you know, that's tough. That's a tough gig. Yeah, because you can't be truly mean, but he does let he lets himself get pushed around. But you can't be mean in that position because Sydney mm-hmm. is a horrible person. Yeah, just the I, worst. Yeah. I am secretly hoping that somebody is keeping track of like the Mike Good at his job points comparatively to somebody else. I haven't mm-hmm. been, so I just I'm kind of out. We've outsourced quite a bit okay, of, of our show. But, so yeah, one thing I, I feel like this season. So kind of off what you said, Georgia, like uh, Armando, like leaning on his actors to discover these backstories or help discover these backstories. I feel like one of the reasons like we haven't gotten there yet, but it seems like every season gets significantly better as we understand, like we, as the Mm -hmm. actors understand the characters and the writers understand or whatever. And, and I feel like in this, the end of this season, Selena is really, or the writers and arm, are really digging into her legacy. She's sort of just Mm. trying to, she wants power and access, but she doesn't know what she's doing. But this Mm. episode really spends time on two years from now, four years from now. Like her legacy starts to really bleed into, which we live, lean on from here on out. Like this seems to be the starting line of that focus, you know? Yeah, yeah, I agree, yeah. I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, Yeah, go ahead. I think that immediately sort of up the stakes didn't it and made us kind of root for her and feel invested in the in the show even more so because we we kind of she had a plan and she had a vision yeah Uh, you know this is something that I was thinking about as I was going back through it that uh, another thing that like that Walsh and I have talked about as we've been going through is sort of like when did they switch from being when did they switch from being sort of principled people who had a plan and a worldview, uh, but it was sort of interrupted by uh, by DC. That was it, like interrupted by the world. There was just like you know, like okay, we had to make this. We had to we had to sacrifice some of our values to get this thing mm-hmm. through. But you know what? Like in the long term, it's worth it. Yeah. They, uh, till when did they switch over into just being 
terrible people who didn't have a moral center. And I feel like I'm just going to like earmark this episode. I think this might be the one. I think this might be the moment where everybody starts to turn. I just, I think there is a damn joke in there somewhere that is so emotionless in its cruelty that I feel I was like, oh, like that's the beginning. Like that's where it started. But anyway, I just want to earmark it for going forward. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. Ambition starts to poison them all. You're right. Mm -hmm. Um, To that, to that end, like, so we have, there's a scene uh, where you guys are in the limo going to the yeah. fundraiser. Uh, playlist. Like, they, they introduce the playlist. And then yeah. uh, she takes a John's Wart at the hotel. Uh, Dan and Amy are out campaigning with Danny Chung at the Memorial Hall. That's right. Then- there, there is, I, in, in, that, uh, in that Dan uh, with Chung where uh, where Amy and Dan sort of catch each other's eyes. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, this is awkward, like making eye contact with your sister at an orgy. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are... Um, it, it's clear that they are both thinking about jumping ship. Like, they didn't know that they would be there. They are thinking about uh, jumping ship and going over to Chung's campaign because Selena has been sort of self-immolating for mm-hmm. so long. I want to throw out that I feel like and Georgia, you guys do amazing work. That's the, I want to say this. Uh-oh. There is, a, there is a great joke. I want to celebrate our successes, but I also want to learn from our mistakes. I feel like mm-hmm. there is a great joke about orgies in there that forgets, yes. that forgets our knowledge of Amy's sister. Yes. Amy, yes. Uh, yes. 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 So it is a wonderful joke about orgies, about mm-hmm. like filling out the paperwork. But from yeah. our knowledge, it's, it's of like Amy's- catching your sister. It's like catching your sister's eye at an orgy, and then Amy says, "Oh, my sister, she's too uptight to. Yes. She would have yeah. people fill out paperwork." Mm-hmm. Yes, but all we know about Amy's sister at this point is that she'd probably be like one of the best people to have at an orgy. <laughs> it seems like she's down for anything. Yeah, she yeah. accuses Amy of being too uptight. Yeah, yeah. unless there's unless is there another sister that we just never learned about. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think so. I I noticed that, and I thought, oh, that um, what happened there? But I guess we haven't seen. Have we seen Amy's sister yet? Maybe it was that was another case of when she was cast, the, the character sort of blossomed and came to life as this, um, kind of slutty. This is a deposition, and you have to defend yourself better than that, Georgia. <laughs> it, it's 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 funny, Georgia, because I. Uh, 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 Jesse and Tony and a, a few of the HBO execs, not like Casey. You know, Casey isn't on this call, but whether or not you go back into the succession room tomorrow <laughs> okay. is based on the answer to this question. Okay. No, I think we've seen the hospital room. We've met her sister in a hospital room. Yeah. Which was okay, right. Oh, but yes. Yeah. I had a question. What is your, um, uh, what would be your take on Danny Chung? Like you were in, the, you had to write things for him. Beyond him, constantly hammering he was a, he was a war veteran how did you see that character in the early stages do you have it like or watching it now how do you understand that character because he came in and out a lot and yes i think you know to, to your earlier point tim about sort of people's principles i think we thought it'd be really interesting for selena to come up against someone who's a good person with mm-hmm. principles who's 
led a good life and done good things? And how do you, you know, and she wants to destroy him. And how do you sort of square that with someone who's on the same side as you and in theory has a lot of the same opinions as you? And so, yeah, we thought that would be, that seems a kind of more interesting fight than just sort of left and right fighting, but just, you know, two people. Well, in fact, one, he would really be much better than her at the job. So how do you deal with a threat like that, which is to just completely betray any kind of principles or moral compass that you have? Um, but yeah, he's he's an interesting one, isn't he? And I think, as is so true in politics, people kind of pop up and then they disappear and then they come back again and you know, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. it's interesting too, because we, we've noticed like he really bonds with Dan and Dan is a sociopath or just blind ambition. So in a way you see the seeds of Danny because he is clean cut seeming he's from Minnesota, but he's kind of evil like Dan, just because they truly are fast friends. Hmm. And I don't think that bodes well for anyone who gets really tight with Dan Egan. Do you know what I mean? No. And we find out pretty soon that Chung is kind of a bastard, obviously. I mean, yeah. they all are, but it's not I'm, too buried. I, I definitely, no, I think I know what you're saying, Walshie, and that, like, I wonder if there's also a version of, like, there is a version of this show where we follow Danny Chung day to day, <laughs> and we see the same sort of, like, arc from good person with principles to just mm -hmm. the town destroys them. Yes. And I, yeah. and I do also, like, earmarking this episode, I think, for Danny Chung, who ends up coming back up a, a bunch throughout the show, mm -hmm. I feel like this is the first time where we really see him yeah. break from, yeah. like, you know, and it's in this scene with Dan where he's like, you know, oh, I love those, you know, I... I the young Chungers, I like that, Dan. It's like you think in hashtags and yeah. he tries another one and just gives them the death stare. And he's like, oh yeah, I'm still working on that. Like we're starting to see, we're starting to see the sort of the bloom come off the rose when it comes to Danny Chung. And mm -hmm. I actually wrote down for two, I'm, I'm realizing I wrote it down for the reason of that it's an amazing say nothing bullshit thing to put in a speech. <laughs> but it also might point to the same idea of of the town getting to Danny Chung. But at yeah. one point, he's like going on this long speech, of course, bringing up his military record. And then he said something like, the road of respect run, ran both ways and that yeah. we all had the same aspirations and that one day we would dream. And our aspiration was that one day we would dream together. <laughs> like that is the most... <laughs> Bullshit. Say nothing, <laughs> fucking. But like when I first watched it, I would, I like, I just, I was like making notes about Dan and Amy, and I just kind of heard it in the background. I was like, oh wow, good speech. And it was this time around. I was like, wait a minute, he didn't say anything. <laughs> Did you take great? Because there's many moments. Like Selena obviously has tons of bullshit speeches. Did you take great delight when you had the task of like? Oh, we need something that says nothing, or who yeah. who would handle that, or what? Talk about that, maybe. Yeah, there are definitely people on the sort of the original writing team and the new writing team that are really good at that sort of sort of writing as many words as possible without actually <laughs> saying anything. It's a real skill. <laughs> who 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 were the ones that were good at it? I think in the, amongst the American room, I would say Billy Kimball was 
Uh, oh God, he's so good at that. Yeah, really yeah. good at that. And in the British lot, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Simon, uh, mm. maybe Will. You know, they were all they yeah. were all good at it. But they, it, it is a particular skill, isn't it? Sort of, um, yeah, just like. Oh, I think there's it's a beat quote, isn't it? Sort of word shaped noise. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, just a lot of that. I, 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 I have another question. Sorry, Tim. No, go ahead. When when we when we we would always do table reads and then another table read, etc. And everyone was there. When we read this one, and I I knew Julia was going to be high in a hotel room. I was so excited because I knew she would just crush it, and I couldn't wait to be around. Yeah. You know, be in that scene and etc. So that's like me as an actor. But you as a writer, when you sit in a table read. What's your mindset and what are you doing in that process? I'm just curious. I think, yeah, there was so much going on in this episode and there was uh, so much for everyone to do. I was, as a sort of neurotic, pessimistic writer, I was worried because it, and I think this, you know, speaks to Armando as, as such an amazing team player. But there was so much of this that completely depended on not just the actors, but the directing and the uh, the set and the props. You know, someone walking through a glass door could be terrible. And it was so brilliant. And uh, someone being high again could be terrible. And it was so brilliant. And I think you know, often you're you're at reads and you and it's not a nice feeling as a writer to think this isn't down to me or how good the line is. This is down to the director or the actor, and it's you have to take a leap of faith, and that's kind of a scary place to be in. But um, you know, both those things, as you say, Julia just crushed it and just judged it so beautifully, and the glass door was just. I kept rewatching it last night and rewinding to see where how they'd edited it, but it just works so incredibly well. I mean, and that's an example of Mike doing his job well because Martin is freaking out. Yeah, and he's like, "Yeah, chill the fuck out, just lock the hallway down." It's not a yeah, good deal. I do love Mike's attitude throughout that entire bit of like that is Mike doing his job well. I do love that it comes from the experience of I just drink a little bit too much. And so I know exactly what to do in this situation. Yeah. The, the, there is a moment here, and I think it shows, number one, not only like, you know, how weirdly how long it's been since we started doing the show, but also how quickly technology has been integrated mm-hmm. into our lives. Right before the glass door, Matt, you make a cloud joke about... Yeah. Because this was like when the cloud was like kind of a novel idea and it doesn't really feel like that long ago. And now we are useless without it. Now, like every single thing is touched by it. But like this is, uh, George, this is another like sort of long running thing as we've gone through the episodes, just sort of pointing out like this was a moment like Mike didn't have a Twitter login. He didn't have a Twitter account in the first episode. It was a useless thing to have politically. And now entire political campaigns and offices are run off of it. Yeah, Um, yeah. And much of the early plot lines are of stories breaking and Selena being unaware in the room or walking into rooms and having to... And I know Arm was obsessed with like the 24-7 news cycle and the Mm. pace at which... And this was sort of 
novel for all of us, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah. yeah, and you're absolutely right. And Selena sent, missent a, a tweet, I think, didn't she? And mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, now that. I mean, seems incredibly quaint and tweeted yes. seeing what other presidents have tweeted. But at the time, yeah. it was like, oh my God, she sent a slightly crazy tweet. What are we going to, this is the end. And it's like, no. <laughs> oh no, this is only the beginning. Yeah. It's accelerating. Yeah. It's yeah. accelerating. Yeah. I, I, I remember going to set the day that we filmed the door smash because I wanted to, I wanted to see it. And the, like the choreography is a little bit weird i remember or at least Walsh, and maybe you can speak to this too because you were obviously in the hallway but from what i remember it was it was a it it had to be choreographed in a certain way of you guys walk through it had to be in a hallway where nobody could be around like it needed to be secluded from everyone so that there couldn't be pictures there couldn't be television reports news wouldn't break and you guys sort of walk through the place where the door was somebody's holding it for you Oh, you've dropped your phone. Yeah, Mike drops his phone. And so she has to walk back to you. And in that Mm -hmm. time, the door behind her has closed. And then she turns around and smashes into it. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember from set that we only had three breakaway glass doors. We had three chances to get it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And there was an entire stunt team. Um. And obviously, Julia is like a gifted physical comedian. And I think there was this there was the worry of, because she was like, I'm fucking going for this. Like, I I, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I am going to run into this. Yeah. And, but like the worry, of course, that she wasn't going to smash and it was going to break her nose or like, you know, that kind of thing. But from what I remember, the first two times, it it sort of uh, splintered, but didn't smash. Ah. And it wasn't until the third one that we had, the third and last one, that it actually got, wow. that it actually did what it was supposed to do. Yeah. Do you yeah. remember that, Walshy? Yeah, I think there was like pre-cracks, but didn't go away. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. It was, uh, there was a lot of tension about, Jesus Christ, we got one left. How the fuck, <laughs> you know? Yeah. How are we yeah. going to get this? Um, but I, and I also remember the rehearsals were key to that moment because, they had to justify why is she turning around and also very veep the way they shot it. You're not really focusing on Tony holding the door, mm-hmm. but you do set it up. So you're not letting the audience go. You're not making too big of a thing of it. Mm-hmm. So the, the sort of incidental action of the door and then her passing it, you're covering it visually, but you're not putting it front and center. Yeah. And then her crossing back, I think allowed her crossing back, allowed her to like close her eyes and smash her forehead on it without, because if the camera's here, you you know what I mean? You would yeah. see the face of anticipation. So they knew how they, have, they wanted to get it here so she could close her eyes. And so there was a lot of rehearsal room choreography, yeah. but I love that Julia was like, I'm going through this. So yeah, like, and, and that's like, I don't think that's what, you, because again, another thing that I brought up a bunch on here, by this point, we are so far behind. <laughs> we were so and, and this episode holy shit this yeah. episode was so fucking far behind like those scenes mm. in the hotel that we're doing later uh like as sort of like a rookie in this process that i've had this feeling a bunch of times where you uh, were a bunch of times on set now where you have spent so much time in that room 
with the lights that make it look like it's daytime, you are shocked yeah. to walk outside and find that it is four o'clock in the morning. And yes. that was that was one yeah. of those days where it was like we yeah. were in that hotel for like 20 hours. Oh my God. Um, yeah. Yeah. That that was like that was a it was a particularly gigantic episode for logistics stunts. Mm-hmm. I mean, like there is a there's a a, a one-legged jogger. Uh, like the, there are people in there's a guy in a banana suit like just yeah. logistically this is a huge episode yeah so we are yeah, so far behind carts. yeah all tony running and being on the phone and then amy and dan in the golf cart yeah it's, there's so many moving parts and so much potential for disaster which speaks to your memory which speaks to your memory of in the table read georgia you were yeah. hearing it and already anticipating how difficult this would yeah. be yeah. That's so interesting. And so I think like when you have an episode that is already a logistical nightmare, I think from like, I can imagine from a production side, you can have people mm-hmm. being like, Julia, I understand you want to go for it, but also yeah. we cannot lose you. <laughs> like yeah. we are, we, we have like, yeah. we're doing like the wily wily Coyote running off the cliff, but we haven't started falling yet. <laughs> And we're just trying to get to some more dry land before before yeah. we realize we're going to fall. Um, yeah. But I do no. But I mean, Julia is, of course, like just she kind of it, it just inherently understands what it takes to sell that moment, and it's like, no, I'm fucking yeah. going through this. And again, I think uh, just to talk about the glass door more, it is a wonderful. There are so many wonderful things that happen in there. Like Mike being drunk is a great one when she sends you off. Matt, like there's like the reveal yeah. where she turns and she's yeah. covered in guts. Yeah. Yeah. And she's like, you know, might go handle it. And then you try to go through yeah, the door and the, the extra door. glass comes down. <laughs> <That's so laughs> and then you get yelled at. And then um she asks if Tony has a mirror, and Tony yeah. has just the worst lying face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's like, Thanks, Yes, yeah. you do. <laughs> and and then their little bit of like the glass on her hand, and then Tony gets hurt. He gets like the tiniest little splinter. Yeah. yeah. God, it just made me fucking laugh out loud. There's a great line where they call Dan and say she walked through a glass door, and he says that woman has become a living metaphor of her own career. <laughs> yes. yes, that's great. And oh, also, there's some really sad bits like. When she's high, she promises to buy Mike's boat and she promises uh-huh. to go to Gary's parents' anniversary dinner. And you, it's so heartbreaking when as soon as she's come off the drugs, she just reneges on both those promises and it's so inevitable and yet so heartbreaking. But see, you're not that's you're not a cynic, Georgia. You're emotionally vulnerable if you're attracted to those, if you're registering that. You categorize <laughs> yourself as a cynic and a hardened... Yeah. negative person but that's i didn't take that away it's like you <laughs> i think what that means is georgia is that ultimately you are too much of an empath you are so affected mm-hmm. by these feelings you've had to put up a layer of protection that's right thank you yes yeah and uh yeah. i just want to point out another great line which is when selena's high she says uh <laughs> I bet Kent doesn't even have a cum face. Can you imagine <laughs> fucking that guy? Can you imagine the casualness in which she was just like, Jesus, can you imagine fucking that guy? Like, 
Julie yeah. is like I mean, high yeah. off of like this combination well, of St. John's work. I didn't realize actually, I had completely forgotten that the reason she gets fucked up in the hotel room is because of the antidepressants yes. and the, the, the reaction between those two. And I had kind of, so all the mentions of antidepressants in the episodes leading up to this, I was like, I can't remember, like, I had completely forgotten that that was all setting up this moment of getting yes. her fucked up in that hotel room. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, and I just like, there are so many little great Julia moments of being high. Yeah. Like, I love it when, when, uh, when she does the Arnold, uh, the oh, yes. Arnold impression for, yeah. for like the wrong movie. What was it? <laughs> yeah. I'll be back. What is it? Yeah, I'll be she, back. But what was the movie that she was talking about? Yeah. It was a completely different one. It's a great moment because no one dares correct her. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This is where Jonad takes root. We say Jonad oh, in this yeah. episode. Yeah. Before we go, before times. we go to the Jonad stuff, I do want to throw out the another moment that I love. Uh, like every once in a while, the show has like brilliantly like uh, like amazingly funny moments that don't involve any vulgarity. And when she says, "Amy, look how tiny I can make myself." Yeah, <laughs> is one that I have always loved, and that goes yeah. right into Amy. You have such pretty blonde hair, doesn't she, Dan? Like she just like for the yeah. first time I think ever, we see her compliment Amy. Yeah, that's really true. Yeah, or when she stomps through heavy footed to go take a pee, and she's laughing <laughs> while she's peeing. Yeah, that's so funny. It's so that's funny. So funny. So you're right. This is the beginning of Jonad, and it's with uh, uh, it's with Ben and uh, with Ben in the hallways. He's like, like, okay, I'm I'm I need information, so go out there and liaise that information out of Sue. Which of mm -hmm. course Jonah J Jonah just immediately fucks up by getting yeah. indignant about being called Jonad. And then uh, Ben has this great moment in there where he throws out a bunch of double negatives, and. <laughs> Uh, realizes that she has been going to like this sort of shadow fundraising thing. And this is a great like Kevin Dunn moment that we've, we've talked about this before, Georgia. Like Kevin Dunn, mm -hmm. if you lift out his performance and put it like in a heavy, serious political drama, the performance can stay exactly the same. Yeah. I love that moment where she's like, I got lost in the double negative, sir. And he just looks at her and says, I'm fucking furious. <laughs> and he's not yeah. saying it like he's furious, but you can yeah. tell he's yeah. fucking furious. Yeah, that's really good. It's It was so good. And Sufi is so good as Sue. And it's what I love is that Sue's a great leveler, isn't she? Everyone is mm -hmm. scared of Sue, like even yes. Ben. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. even Ben's not going to go full ham on Sue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's 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 really true about Kevin. You, he, it's such a good... you. And, and again, I'm becoming too soppy now but you just feel for him he's just so you you know when he's lying on the sofa and that you just kind of you feel you so feel for that man and everything he's been through and how weary he is through to his very soul mm -hmm. yeah it's like his woe is like his pain is like biblical he's been through so yeah. much yeah <laughs> it's like heroic torment he's seen it's, it's amazing I, I think this. I remember watching season one when I before I wrote for it, and there's a line Selena says, which I think is a Simon Blackwell line, which is, 
I can feel my soul sliding out of my ass. <laughs> I just was like, I have to write for this show. This it encapsulates the human condition so beautifully. <laughs> <laughs> and and I think, you know, Ben is one of those people who do sort of encapsulate, you know, the, what it is to be human. And he's kind of had so much experience and you feel like he's just been at work his entire life. And it's just kind of destroyed him. And so Jonah has real duty in this episode, Tim. You're kind of talking about yeah. he's been sent to go and get her to say something to the press that this shadow candidate story that's out there uh, to basically show allegiance to President Hughes. So you get thrown into the room by uh, Ben mm-hmm. and then you you're, you have to realize like, oh, she's high as fuck and uh, I don't know. You have real jobs in this one. I, yeah, real I, I actually, like, I'm not, I, this is like one of the first times that I have an actual responsibility. I do remember it when, like, when I'm like, you know, there's like the, somebody called boom service, like that moment where I'm coming to the thing. <laughs> I, George, I don't know if you knew this, but Walsh would like hold the door so for, he like, wouldn't let me in. He wouldn't let me, I had to like fight my way into the door. He was like, he like really stood on the realism of like, I don't want Jonah in this room. And so I just remember being like, having like actually shove my way into the scene because Walsh was actually putting weight on it. I was just trying to dunk on you, man. Oh I was just God. playing hard. But I, I mean, like, you can see that I'm like, as I even like get my body through, like it hits me again. <laughs> like, you really do. You definitely dunk on me in this scene. You win. You win that scene for sure. But Jonah actually accidentally does something quite intelligent, which is just ask Dan and Amy what they would do, which is unusually smart for Jonah. Unusually smart for Jonah. But in very Jonah, I remember this was scripted because I was like, God, I actually don't know what this means. And I don't think I really understood the line until I was watching it now. I just said it because you guys wrote it. But when he, when he says, okay, decision, here's what we're going to do. He just says decision as if he's saying like, okay, lunch. Like, you know, what I, mean? yeah. <laughs> Didn't, I just said the line and now it is realizing okay, you have just given me this. He then just immediately takes credit for what yeah. they have told him to do. Yeah. And then yeah. Congr- yeah. he takes credit for it and then congratulates himself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I do like that moment in there as well when she says Jonah's name backwards. Oh, yes, yeah. that's good. And, yeah, I, yeah. and again, like a great Julia moment. I don't think she figured it out until the cameras were rolling. I think she then was just like, I'm not going to figure it out. I am going to stand there and I'm going to picture his name and I'm going to flip it around. How do I say that? And Um, it's kind of interesting, isn't it, that when Selena is high, she becomes really quite a nice person. Yeah. (laughs) I think that's kind of sweet. You you kind of feel like there is that person underneath all layers of armor. And we're so... I think they've witnessed moments of it, mm-hmm. but they're so hungry for it, aren't they? Yeah, like Mike yeah. and Gary. They're yeah, like so hungry Mike's, for her. Yeah. Mike's like squeezing her arm. Uh, what are you saying? Something about the guns, those her yeah. muscles. Like, let yeah. me feel the guns. Like, <laughs> she's so oh, fit. Yeah. She like pats on the bed and she's like, get over here, gingerbread. Like, when she. <laughs> <laughs> she's like so excited to talk to you in a way we've never seen. Yeah. yeah. 
I remember um, when I was writing that episode much later on when Mike's writing her kind of biography and she's almost using him like a therapist. Yeah. That was, I loved that kind of interaction between them. But what was kind of both thrilling as a writer and really dispiriting, I don't know how it was for you as a human being, Matt, but you could spend weeks honing the most brilliantly clever and hilarious insult for Selena, Selena to say to Mike. But, you know, it would never be as funny as Selena mocking the way Mike talked. Oh, <laughs> oh it's so, it's so good. <laughs> and it was sort of such a joy to watch, but also you kind of think, oh, yeah, that's, that'll stay in. But my brilliant line. <laughs> <laughs> that's sort of uh, the equivalent of tall jokes or Jonah nicknames. Like, yeah, yeah. you have these characteristics that are just going to be used for comic fodder. And yeah, uh, yeah. There's a couple moments where other characters, I think Selena mimics the way Dan talks, and it comes in and out. But mm. definitely, Mike gets uh, Selena doing that is so funny. Yeah, we mm. leaned on that a lot. Yeah, I when people talk, I, I think that people uh, like recently. Um, I, uh, for like charity, I would like record selfie videos. Oh, I like yeah. put it out on Twitter. Like, oh, I'll record a selfie vid- video complimenting you if you donate to a charity. The, yeah. uh, the Friends of Lhasa, I'll pimp it here. The Friendsoflasa.org. <laughs> uh, it promotes, um, uh, it's, it supports a, a, a performing arts high school, a performing arts public high school in the Los Angeles area. It's a really amazing school. Anyway, that's Georgia, why we're do doing it. Char- Georgia, do you have any charities you want to pimp in this moment that you love? <laughs> uh, I mean, I love that charity. So I'm happy. Oh, okay. Great. Thank yeah. you. Great. Okay. Um, Go ahead. So I was doing compliment videos where I would compliment people on jobs that they don't have, like their work in, you know, aerospace or whatever. And it's like clear that they don't work in aerospace. And then I put up one. I was like, oh, well, I'll do one where I insult you. And the insulting is so much harder. Mm. And I don't think people realize how hard it is to do the insulting thing. Because I remember when we would try to outside of a few times, and there's like, a, I think, season three Dan has one where he says, like, you know, hepatitis J. I think that was one of reads that he brought in or that he came up with in the moment. But most of the time, when you try to improvise an insult, Mm -hmm. it ends up being too harsh, like too blunt, not flower. There's like a real sweet spot in the middle between the ultra flowery ones that don't feel like the way people talk and like the blunt instruments that you're like, well, you're a fucking turd. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's so true. And that was, that's if you can call it a skill, that was a real skill I had to learn that, that, that if the sensibility, if that's not too highfalutin a word to use about swearing, Mm -hmm. that I think we had was it shouldn't be aggressive or just, as you say, you fucking turd. It should be kind of baroque and descriptive. So the sort of the obscene element is in the sort of detail and the specificity of the yeah. description rather than just using horrible words. Yeah. And I think that that is sort of funnier and hopefully more interesting, but also much more kind of personal isn't it like they, it got so personal some of the insults and so specific but I think that's that's the real key to it that it it was we were trying to you know so often swearing is 
can be thought of as lazy. And we we tried to approach it as a kind of art form and let's do something that's harder and you're actually trying to describe something in a completely unique way rather than trying to say the worst thing you can think of. Right. And I think too often people who have sort of come up and tried to imitate it have gone to that level of we're just yeah. trying to say the most horrible thing yeah. that we can think of and it doesn't it doesn't work in the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um I want to point out one good Ben line. Yeah. Uh, he calls Jonah the world's biggest single cell organism. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> oh, so that, that because is... and also off of the last thing you were saying, like that's why it's hard to be a good writer. Like you, you're a great writer, Georgia, obviously. So you're not only dealing with plot, but in the moment of like, like for a comedian or an actor, I can play comedy of behavior pretty well. But like to deliver something where the audience knows, like, oh, this is a setup. And here comes the punchline. It is going to be judged by a very strict criteria. And that punchline and that setup, they all better work together. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah, it's very yeah. much on display there. There's no hiding behind character in that moment. <laughs> it's like, write a joke. Give me alts. Yeah. Was there a lot of alt writing like when there weren't episodes? I know we were behind. Did we comment on how behind we were yet, Tim? Uh, I think we brought it up a few times, but I think it bears repeating. We are very far behind. <laughs> and that means there's tons of unfinished episodes and ideas floating around the writer's room, right? Yeah, yeah. But we did we did do tons of alts. And, it, and I think what was so good about the team Arm put together is there wasn't ever, it was such a sort of generous collaborative team. There would they didn't there were no egos and no kind of competitiveness or preciousness about your line and i think the fun of of kind of sending around these emails where you would sort of add 12 ideas and then someone else and you'd see everyone else's ideas and that would kind of inspire yours and it so it was really exciting and fun kind of process to be part of and to sort of you know, Armando always used that. I don't know if you've discussed that on uh, this on uh, this podcast. That Armando's sort of metaphor of making gravy, um, which is yeah. that you know, yeah. So you so right. you kind of uh, you throw in a carrot or an onion, and then when you have the gravy, you don't see your carrot and onion, but it wouldn't be the gravy if you hadn't done that. So so that's his way of saying if your line wasn't the one that ended up on screen you know, it still doesn't mean your contributions, it, your contributions were still important because it helped you get to that line. And it, and we wouldn't have got there without the whole team making different suggestions that led us to that specific line, which I think is really true. And, and um, you know, what? how brilliant to have all these different brains with these different frames of reference and these different life experiences. It, it just made such a kind of rich brew, didn't it? We, all this different... Uh, yeah. ideas coming together for for like one line it was great. Yeah, that's wonderful. What was the nature of those? Obviously, there's story things going back and forth, but sounds like there were email chains where you guys just knew we, we always need funny insults, right? Yeah. 
Was there great joy in just opening these things up and going, oh my God, Roger, Roger Drew, too far, please. (laughs) Wait. (laughs) Almost like the way we all have like text chains of nonsense that have been living for 15 years. Was was there joy in those? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. It was fantastic. It was always Roger that had gone too far. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. That was a good pull by Walsh to to say the name that we all knew it was going to be. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was it was real fun. It was really good. And and the day where we had to go and come up with like fifty Jonah nicknames each for the um for the inquiry. The Jonad files. The, yeah, exactly. The Jonad yeah. files. That was that was a good day at work. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the, great. Throwing it back to that scene that we're talking about, like that is a good example of like that 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 joke that Jonah insult of the single world's largest single celled organism again not dirty not Ooh. a dirty joke at all but yeah. it's one that has lived in the same like i don't hear it as much as jolly green jizz face but i hear it quite a bit like that's like yeah. one that people bring up and it's not dirty it's not yeah. sweary yeah. it's just a fucking great joke but yeah. i wanted to point something <laughs> out that uh that it was kind of a thought that I had had, and I think we've spoken to the season two stuff, Walshy, is that uh, this is sort of where I realized with Jonah that he was going to go wherever the power was. I always knew he wanted to be close to power, but I think this is the first time I really realized that he will be fluid moment to moment on he will just attach himself to whoever is doing great in that moment. So like early in the season, you see him like shadowing Kent. And as soon as Kent starts to lose some juice, he's now like shadowing and taking notes for Ben. And you don't have any idea how he got himself into that position. He just put himself there. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And and so that is like, you know, and of course, like he's just sucking up and like talking about like, Oh, uh, instead of hallelujah, I said jalapeno when he was doing karaoke and just laughing too hard at that. Yeah. Um, it also comes up later. Oh, so anyway, this, um, uh, I think what I'm trying to do is uh, like, is to uh, like, to get to the fun run, which is. So what happens is Selena comes out of the hotel room. Yes. Quick press conference. She accidentally says, I intend to run in reference to the uh, 5k, but. Mm-hmm. Very Veep-esque. Well, anyway, so we get to that. Then we go to the White House, and they're burning the ships because it's such a nightmare that she said that. Jonah is dispatched to the race because she has to show allegiance to the president. We actually forgot in that first scene with Ben when he's depressed, the reason that he's depressed is because there's like, there's going to be like a State Department whistleblower and that they actually are possibly starting to talk about impeachment. There is like all of a sudden like people are lawyering up because there might be subpoenas. So that's why the, that's why the the house is in disarray. And Ben is screaming about like burn, like burn the White House pets, burn the, and everything incriminating, including <laughs> this building, and set yourselves so, on fire. Yeah, so to get back to our succession story or parallel that you brought up, everything in this episode is a pot of spaghetti, <laughs> and the impeachment potential is the story and the stakes. <laughs> yes, that's the Actually, difference between kind of right. yeah. succession. You know what I mean? Yeah. We true. live in the spaghetti the yeah. whole episode, yeah. and then it comes back. Yeah. Mistakes come back at the end. Yeah. So the there is uh, 
so it, the the fun run has started. You guys are on the you guys are on the the golf carts. You have like a one legged veteran that's a couple steps behind her. So you don't want to freak her out because of the one legged veteran. But then also it like looks terrible if you defeat a one legged veteran in a race. But Selena's way too cocky about want she just wants to win. So you guys and we have- see some. I just want to point out before that moment, there's some infighting between Ben and Kent because they have differing opinions on what to say to Selena's oh, yeah. team. Yes, and they yeah. they go like, "Who's he going to side with?" And they both and Gary Cole is so angry in this episode. It's really great, but he says about Jonah, and this is like a bludgeony sort of insult. He's an idiot. I'm surprised he gets to work without being hit by a car or punched in the face. <laughs> yes, and they also. <laughs> <laughs> and that comes off of like who do you think he's gonna go with and get and like it's also an insult towards ben he's because he's like he's gonna side with you ben because mm-hmm. he's an idiot yes i'm surprised so he somehow manages to both in, insult both ben and jonah in that moment there's a there's a yeah. bit and there are a couple bits in there that i really liked which is i am a big fan we do it a bunch of times in the show where you're starting to say something on the phone and it's clear they've hung up and you just say out loud, oh, oh, they've hung up. Like it happens. Like I know Gary does it a few times and then I do it in this episode. It's a joke to me that will never get old. It is always yeah. funny when somebody keeps talking and then just says, oh, you're gone. Um, uh, he also mentions that choosing a side isn't his strong suit on the way oh, yes. out of the door. Uh so those are just two little moments that I remember really enjoying playing because I was like, oh, I get to do the phone thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. So they send him, and this is like the fucking Lorax moment where I run past you, give yeah. you the finger and say, what's up, you fucking Lorax? <laughs> and then full backing, full support. Oh, no, the zipper's like a cheese grater on my dick. You guys have gotten off and are running because you're trying to tell her not to beat the disabled the veteran. One. Yes. Mm-hmm. Or to be in a photo with the banana. There's a couple yeah. things they're yes. trying to manage. The banana guy is actually a really good friend of Reed's who happened to be visiting. And oh, they really? were, and he was like, hey, do you want to be in the show? They're like, you know, like, Reed was like, hey, can my friend be the banana? Oh, cool. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so that's I'm, like a really good friend of Reed's. Um, What's so good about the, the fun run section is just seeing how the different characters run. Yeah. It's really funny. Like, you never really get to see that in a normal show, but it is so funny seeing Gary run. Then it's so funny seeing Mike run. I th- I think we might have had in the script, or did we talk about that you kind of throw up at the end, but it, it didn't make it to the finish. Well, yeah. I, I remember vividly in this last scene of crossing the finish line, how much we played up yeah. Mike being on the verge of a heart attack. I mean, <laughs> like when when Walsh crossed the line, there yeah. was, I mean, like there was a solid minute and a half of him either about to vomit, uh, trying <laughs> to catch his breath. The, the moment where they're like, put your hands above your head. I don't yes. know why, but that was to prevent a heart attack. I mean, like Matt was, fully fucking sending it when it came to <laughs> yeah. a commitment to the bit of Mike is on the verge of death. Yeah. 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 Almost broad. Almost some broad acting, you might say, <laughs> but it was so fun to swing it at it. I mean, it was, I, that was like, I, I do remember 
in the chaos of what was going on in the moment, because I think I might have mentioned it, we were very far behind. And it, <laughs> and it felt it felt chaotic, but that was such a joyous moment, Walsh. Like yeah. I just remember yeah. how fun it was for all yeah. of us to try to like, who fucking cares if they're not going to use it? Like let's enjoy <laughs> the moment of Mike might die. Let's yeah. try to help. Yeah. Um, yeah. God, I that's like the that. realization of like, there's like a banana here. There's like 50 background artists running. There's limos. Uh-huh. And we get the fuck off for two minutes pretending Mike's having a heart attack. Like, that is like, <laughs> those are the good days. Like, yeah. you are, you're freezing. It's still freezing your ass off, obviously. And, but yeah. And, and yeah. speaking of running, you see some real athleticism from Julia when she mm. pumps, you know, like she's obviously a, a runner, like in oh that moment. Gosh, I'm like, oh yeah. yeah, she runs. Yeah, she's so, f- I, I remember going, she invited me to go for a hike with her and it, oh my God. Oh no. Oh no. She, I was just, I wanted to like crawl into an animal's carcass <laughs> after yeah. about half an hour because she was just walking so fast. Yeah. <laughs> God. Yeah. Left but, in the dust. Yeah. Just leave me here. Just leave you, me here. Just leave me. Yeah. I'm dead. Yourself. If you try to save me, you'll only yeah. be sacrificing yourself exactly. too. Exactly. I uh, in this post in this post race interview, I think there's a really good cut to where like the blood has just like yeah. fully yeah. started running out of her nose. Uh, she doesn't say much in support of President Hughes. And then no, they pull her away. That Mike, Mike and team pull her mm-hmm. away from the inter- the press. That's right. And yeah. then there's that moment with Amy where she is like, "I'm fucking done with this. Like, I'm mm-hmm. done. I'm not going to be. I'm not going to stand next to this man that I loathe for mm-hmm. another six years." She's like, "No, I'm fucking done with it. I'm out. I'm gonna. I'm gonna reevaluate, and I'm gonna come back in six years, and I'm gonna save the party from itself." It's like actually a pretty good plan mm. for a yeah. president who might be about to be impeached, who's who's now been mm. lying. I mean, like it's actually like a politically savvy move to think that yeah. way in that moment. Yeah, and I, I like Julia's honesty in that scene. Like yeah. it's not really played for comedy in any way. Yeah, and you believe her, and and yeah. yeah, it's yeah, it's a good, it's a good dramatic moment, isn't it? At the end of like a lot of really kind of funny, fun run stuff. Yeah, and then uh, there is like a very good, there is like a wonderful again, like something that will always make me laugh is a door closing on somebody's last. <laughs> like she's like you know like kind of doing one last little cheer out the door of get moving, and Amy <laughs> slams the door on the last <laughs> syllable of moving. Yeah, which goes back to how you realize there was a lot of disrespect of the vice president in the yeah. early episodes. Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, exactly. even and I, I, I like it too because she has this confidant relationship with Amy. You know, at times I like when she's like candid with Amy, uh, and I felt like that moment was a Amy was a perfect you know landing for what Selena was thinking. It's almost as if. That run, she was just thinking of like, what am I going to do with my life? Like she was taking that meditative run. And by the end of it, she Mm -hmm. knew. And I just like that Amy was the one she shared it with. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know. I enjoyed that part of it as well. I I did too. And I think that there is also something to like, that's probably one of the first times that we've seen Amy. One of the first, if not the first time that we've seen Amy be sort of like directly disrespectful to her. She's yeah. always kind of couched a, a, like a you know, ma'am. Yes. We might yeah. want to do this, or do you think this is a good idea? Like she, like she is, 
in a way, like you can tell like that the frustration, like the seeds of frustration that Dan has planted episodes earlier are like kind of taking root there. It's like, that's the yeah. first time that she's been really disres- disrespectful to her. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, she said in the last episode to Catherine, like, I've given up my morals for your mom's career plenty of times. It's not that bad. Yeah, it's not that, it's not that <laughs> bad. Um, and then after that, I think that's... The limo. The, There's a nice long the, credit roll nice where she look. says, Mike, oh, yeah. that boat. <laughs> Did you feel sad for Mike in that moment, Georgia? I felt very sad for Mike and for Gary. Yeah, it was... Uh, the, the perfect fucking pylon... The perfect yeah. pylon yeah. of Gary's parents, the P- Gary's parents yeah. joke, where yeah. at, like at, like Dan being like, "Wait, your parents aren't dead," and then she, and then Julia has the like, "See, but isn't it weird that two people would feel that way?" Like <laughs> she's like, "I understand they aren't dead, but you can understand that I might have thought they were yeah. dead." Other people also thought, and then yeah. while she comes in with like the, <laughs> "I thought you were adopted." <laughs> And that was like another credit roll. Like we were just, at some point we were just improvising, like pig piling on what we thought was a funny <laughs> moment. Like not, Julia yeah. not letting it die. See, I'm not the only one. All that <laughs> yes. stuff was yes. just, just free yeah. roll and like us having fun. Like we already captured the scene and and sometimes those end up in the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Often they don't, but sometimes they do. Yeah. Can I, Let me ask one question before, then we, we want to talk about your book and such, Georgia. In the, and this might apply to other uh, shows, but in Veep, for example, do you think like they try to, you're conscious that it sees episode nine. Do you think more plot tends to come in back end episodes? Mm, yeah, I do actually. I think it's all kind of coming together, isn't it? And you're, you're aiming for the kind of season finale and you know what pieces you got to line up for that. So um, but I mean, we, we did fit a lot of story into every episode of Veep, it feels like. So, yeah. um, yeah, but this, this was, I'm glad, I'm glad we talked about this again, because this was, this was a really good one. This one ends, po- and I think too, her speech in the car is so poignant. And like you said, George, it plays so dramatically real mm-hmm. that it gives a real weight to the stakes of the show. And it's like an awakening of Selena or something. There's a real mm. resonant. It reverberates in a way that has momentum, obviously, to the next episode, but also throughout the rest of the seasons. It's, yeah, it's a yeah, it's a seminal episode, maybe. Yeah, huh? big, big one. Yeah, I want to throw this out, Georgia. That earlier. Um, oh, you know what we should do? A real quick, we should do. We should get Georgia in on. So we do like a sort of political thing of like double downs or walkbacks. If there's anything yes. that you want to walk back or double down on, mm-hmm. this is an opportunity. Like if you're like second guessing something that you said, I just want to point out because I want to throw this out. Maybe you want to walk this back. You said that uh, the arm brought up the idea of I walked through a plate glass window and you looked at. Uh, Will and Sean, and we're like, I don't know how you're going to pad that out to 30 pages. And I was like, Georgia, our scripts were 60 pages long. Yeah. Uh, that's like that's a, some that's a little bit of revisionist history. Yeah, I did. I did think afterwards. I think we had one that was about 80, didn't we? Yeah. Yes, we did. But, but I suppose in the in the writers' room, Arm would always say, it it only needs to be 30 pages, just 30 pages, and then. Despite all that, we would hand in yep. some weighty tome that would take weeks to film. Yeah. 
but yeah, def- definitely walk back on that one. Nice, Walshie. You got any? As far as uh, walkbacks um, or double downs, I mean, you might have had a perfect day. Like you, you maybe you just hit it out of the park today. I don't know that I stepped in it, and I don't know that I had a perfect day. But nothing comes to mind that I feel like I should uh, clarify my position. Even I, yeah. I feel like uh, I, what I would probably double down on is Georgia is a much more sensitive and optimistic person than she will let people mm. believe. Yes. <laughs> That's all. Yeah. That's Georgia, all. to that end, is there anything uh, that you would like to mention? Like if you have a, a book well, coming out? If yes. You... I mean, really what I want to mention is that you two should lawyer up because I have uh, a memoir coming out um, <laughs> on the 8th of February in the States and it's called My Mess is a Bit of a Life and it covers Veep. So I don't does know. Does it really? Oh my God. Yes, it does. I'm going to get, um, I so will get my lawyer. This may be the last time we talk face-to-face <laughs> and not wow. our representatives in a court of law. Is, am I at least Matt W instead of Matt Walsh? <laughs> Um, is it really, uh, what I hate to put you, I, well, actually I love putting people on the spot in a way. What, what is the journey of the book in a simple way? Like what, what are your insights as looking back at the book? Um, it was, it's weird actually. So a few years ago, my agent said, you know, why don't you like write a memoir? And I couldn't have laughed scornfully and said, the one thing we can be very sure of in this life is that I will never, ever write a memoir. And then I'm not sure if it was just a terrible lapse of judgment or lockdown madness, but I do appear to have written a memoir, which is horrifying. Um, and I think, you know, I'm British, I'm middle class, i.e. emotionally repressed. We never talk about our feelings or talk about our sort of personal lives. My life as a scriptwriter is perfect because I get to be completely anonymous. I literally put words in other people's mouths and <laughs> hide behind the lines. So to suddenly write something very personal and very direct is really scary. Um, but yeah, I just went for it and um, no holds barred. Did awesome. you and you obviously enjoyed it then because it, it forced was, you to like look at stuff, huh? Yeah, it was it was interesting, actually. And I tried to it starts right back when I was tiny and I tried to sort of it's interesting, actually, people say because it's very short chapters. Some of them are just a few lines and people kind of say, well, what an interesting choice. And actually, it's just me embracing my limitations as a writer, because I think. I can only really think in terms of scenes. So really it's a collection of scenes from my life. And I'm really interested in memory and how that works. And I, while I was writing it, I read this fascinating thing that you only ever remember anything once. And then after that, you remember remembering it. That's how our brains work. Um, Whoa. So, yeah, in a way, we're all kind of writing our memoirs and honing our sort of life stories and origin stories and I just found it really interesting looking back to when I was a child and how you kind of that sort of fragmentary nature or impressionistic nature way of memory where you don't kind of get the full picture you just remember certain things and so I tried to stay true to that and not sort of imbue it with 
any kind of hindsight. And um, yeah, it was it was interesting actually to see to kind of step back and and in a way take a look at yourself as as you would at a character you'd created or a, or a script you'd create or a world you'd created and sort of look at it and try and find you know a sliver of compassion for yourself and sympathy and I kind of think yeah if I feel compassion for the Roy family and for Selena Mayer I should be able to you know find uh, some compassion yeah. for myself so yeah but it's it's been very interesting and um uh yeah it's it's came out in the UK last summer and um I would say most people who've known me all my life didn't know 80% of what's in there. And so it's been quite a shock. <laughs> well, now I have to get it. It yeah, sounds no. like an inter- it's an interesting approach to a memoir. I don't think I've read one that's, like you say, scenically, without any hindsight, just sort of mm-hmm. going along your life. And, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's really cool. And did you find a little bit, a sliver more kindness for yourself after this journey? I did, actually. I think when you kind of, when you're in the sort of mayhem of life and the chaos, it's so easy to be hard on yourself, isn't it? And think I should be a better person or mother or partner or writer, whatever it is. And then I think when you step back and look, you kind of think, oh, I, you know, I I was doing as best I could with, you know, with the, within the circumstances I was living. And um, yeah, so I think you do. And that's that's an, a nice feeling to not, I think, we, you know, we're just hard on ourselves all the time. So to kind of ease up on yourself is good. This is something that I, uh, that I learned. I think it was somewhere like in season two or season three, I heard this and I've like, I've kind of kept it close since then is that like everybody thinks we're supposed to be able to give a hundred percent every single day, but it's completely impossible to do that. You just give a hundred percent of what you have. Mm -hmm. And, and it can be funny because there are some days where I'll just like walk up to people and I'll be like, look, I'm giving a hundred percent of 30% today. Like that's what, like, that's what I have. That's where I'm at. But like thinking about it in those terms has like kind of helped and like, look, like I I shouldn't feel bad that I can't give in everything that I can't give a hundred percent today, but I I will, I will put everything I have out today. You know what I mean? Like almost in a positive way of like accepting the limitations of today and just pressing on. I'm really excited to read your book, Georgia. Everything you read is very good. So it would be no <laughs> shock when I enjoy it. Oh, wow. And I, I want to mention Wilf, which is your other book oh, about yeah. the, the nervous boy and his gang of odd characters. <laughs> it's a kid's book that is really funny. So if any of our yeah. fans like really funny kids books yeah, or grownups and kids, it plays well. Trust yeah, me. there's five. There's five of them. It's good if you have yeah. anxious children, which I think in, at the moment we all do. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Philip and Kevin. Yeah, it's a wonderful series. Uh, right. Georgia, this has been awesome. Thanks for coming on. And uh, so, if anybody, uh, if anybody out there like the super fans know, we had like a, a showrunner change in between uh, seasons four and five, where uh, we're not quite there yet. But you stick with us mm-hmm. all the way through to the very end. So we will yeah. have you back on throughout, um, oh, yeah, and we can get that. your sort of like like you know very much look back uh thoughts when we get into later seasons as yeah well. yeah oh good because there's a matt story i want to tell so please invite me back on oh god wait yeah. a minute 
It didn't make the memoir. I'm not important it, enough for the memoir. I, for legal reasons, I had to take it out. But I'm, <laughs> I'm allowed to say it on this podcast. I love it. And what's say the title of your book again? The one that sounds. It's uh, my mess is a bit of a life. Get that book, yeah. everybody. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Great to see you. Great to see you, Georgia. Nice to see you as well. Morgan says hi. hi oh, well. yeah. Oh, send her my love. I will. And I Annie. Will. I will, absolutely. If she knew I was talking to you, she would say hello. She's going to be. <laughs> so I will just say a preemptive hello from Annie when I tell her later that I saw you this okay. morning. Great. All right, guys. Thanks so much uh, for listening. That was George Pritchett, uh, the wonderful, lovely, and talented George Pritchett. Uh, Tim, we, love- we got one yes. more episode till the season's over. We will be done with season two next episode. Ooh. Exciting. It's exciting. It feels like it's going pretty fast. I was really like, we're already through season two, and I've really enjoyed this. It seems like it's going fast. Yeah, um, and I, I would argue we're, we're slightly improving as hosts. I, I think that us, we are. Yeah, I think we are. I, mean, I agree. Thank you for uh, for everybody listening. Thank you for sticking with us as we uh, as we figure out how to be better at this. And I think we are improving. I think we're doing a good job. Yeah. So keep uh, giving us five stars and bonus ratings and telling your friends because we are growing a wonderful audience. Keep sending us your questions because we love hearing from people, especially from other countries. I got to say, I'm fascinated by the reach of this show, even though, I don't know, I love it. I love hearing questions from other people. Parts of the world. I mean, I think to something that Georgia talked about, like being like, you know, her view of American politics from a British. I, I, I agree that I think it's really interesting to hear questions from people of different countries for a show that feels like steeped in quintessentially American politics and how that translates. I'm very interested in that. Um, yeah. So you submit your questions uh, to us at Cast Media, uh, Cast with a K, castmedia.com slash second in command. Every Tuesday, we put out a new episode. You can listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. For example, iTunes. That is a great place. uh, And you can watch us on Spotify and YouTube. You can follow, rate, review. We appreciate that. Five stars. You know what? Don't review us if you think it's bad. Fuck out of here. Thank you for listening and for watching. Peace. Thanks for watching Second in Command of Veep Rewatch. Yeah. Please hit the subscribe button and tune in every Tuesday when the new ones drop. Rewatch the show for exclusive behind-the-scenes stuff, info, insight, and more. Episodes coming, and thanks for watching. Yeah, hit that uh, subscribe button. This is the mouse arrow, right? That's what you're representing. It's a cursor. Put it. Do a little circle with your finger, and it'll it'll like be bigger, so you can see where it is. Oh, okay. <laughs>